So in 1 Chronicles 29.16, it reminds us that God owns everything. Everything belongs to him. Whatever we think belongs to us, we're just fooling ourselves. First favorite thing that I want to share with you is I'm grateful for the grace that he has shown me. I'm doing a little summary since I didn't turn the recorder on immediately. Ephesians 2.8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Grace is giving, not getting what you deserve, but what you need. And I am so thankful that God has not given me what I deserve. Especially with all the mistakes I've been making lately. Boy, there's just been one after another after another, it seems like. But we were in a hopeless condition before Christ. Hopeless. With no meaning, no purpose to our lives. So this Thanksgiving, I'm going to thank Him for His grace. For the simple fact that He says, I'm accepting you the way you are. I am offering you the gift of grace. I'm offering you the gift of salvation. And it's your choice whether you take it or not. But I'm offering it to you. I'm thankful for the fact that he has a plan for me. Life is not an accident. Each and every one of you was made for a reason. You were made for a purpose. God has a plan for your life. I like a statement that Rick Warren made where he said, Your parents may not have planned you, but God did. No baby is born by accident. There may be illegitimate parents, but there are no illegitimate children. Amen Amen to that. If you're alive and you're breathing and your heart and pulse are going, it means that God has a plan for your life. You may not know exactly what it is, but he has a plan for you and he will reveal it to you. Now, God's plan is a good plan. We don't have to worry about it. We know it's going to be a good plan. No matter what it is that comes our way. We don't need to be anxious about it. We don't need to be afraid of it. God said in Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Is that something you can be thankful for? I look back over my life and I'm, I'm amazed. I'm amazed how he has even taken my mistakes and my faults and my failures and Uh, and taking the things that other people have done to hurt me. And he has turned those around for good. God's plan is not all happy. God's plan has uh, pain in it. I referred to that last week because I had heard a message just a few days before that spoke of the fact that the gift that nobody wants, the gift that everybody has and the gift that everybody needs is the gift of pain. We don't want pain. There's not a one of us that wants pain. We don't, but we do need it, and we all get it. Pain comes into all of our lives at one time or another, in one form or another. But we need to embrace that pain because we need it. We need it in order to grow. We need it to grow. We need it to appreciate what we have God's plan is one where he gives us grace and then he works his grace out through our lives. Third thing that I want to mention to you is I'm thankful for the home that he's prepared for me. I'm talking about heaven here. 
2 Corinthians 5.1 says, we know that our body will be destroyed. And I realize some of you think yours has been destroyed already, but you know. But when that happens, God will have a house for us. It will not be a house made by human hands. Instead, it will be a home in heaven that lasts forever. Human beings were not designed to last forever. In fact, there is a, a st- recent statistic that came out that says that every person in America will die. 100%. In fact, that's true around the world, is it not? One day your body is going to give out. Your body will decay. It will fall apart. It will cease to exist. Uh, Your body may be cremated. But that's not going to be the end of you. Because the Bible says that you were created in God's image. He gave you a soul. And that soul is going to live for eternity. The physical body? No. Not a big deal. Not a big deal. Pain is a part of it. Illnesses are a part of it. But you're going to spend eternity in one of two places. You're either going to spend it in heaven or you're going to spend it in hell. Depending on whether or not you receive Jesus Christ and trusted in his grace and his gift of salvation for you. Heaven and hell are real places. I know there are people in our world today that, that uh, say it's a figment of our imaginations, that it's some kind of symbolism. My belief is, my conviction is, the scripture says that they are real places. Did you realize that Jesus talked more about heaven and hell than he did about a lot of things? He talked a lot about it. And quite honestly, I think he knows more than you or I. So if Jesus believed in both heaven and hell, I'm going to believe in heaven and hell also. He says they're real places. But as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, we don't have to be afraid of death. Christians of all people ought to be confident about death because we know where we're going. In fact, it has been said that you're not ready to live until you're ready to die. So are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready to meet your maker? I remember a gentleman in Tucson that was a chaplain to the hospitals. Henry Wooten. And he would go in and he'd say, are you ready to meet your maker? Are you ready to meet God? He would just simply ask that question. And they would get a discussion going. And I can't, there are countless numbers of people that were led to know Jesus Christ there in the hospital as a result of his boldness, his love, his concern for their salvation, his concern for their lives. You know, only a fool would go through life unprepared for something they knew was inevitable. But why do so many people do it? So many people live in denial today. But I am so thankful that I don't have to be afraid. Now, what's heaven like? I I can't really say. Scripture gives us a few glimpses, but it really doesn't explain it. I know it's going to be a time of reuniting reuniting with with, uh, loved ones that were believers. We're going to have that chance to get with them and see them. I know that there are going to be some rewards that we're going to be given. He talks about crowns. for our service, for our, our trust in Christ, for 
our faithfulness and praying and serving and sharing his word. We will get those crowns, but my conviction is, based on a passage in Revelation that I can't remember right at the moment, is that we're going to be casting those crowns before him. Those rewards that we get, we're going to realize that we didn't really earn them. Jesus did. And we're going to bow before him and we're going to offer them up to him because he's the one that deserves them. I don't believe, contrary to popular opinion, that when you get to heaven, you're going to sit around on a cloud or a sheet or something and and play a harp. I I just don't believe that. I I don't think that's realistic. I believe everybody's going to have some assignments to do. He's going to have us doing things that we enjoy doing. We're not going to feel like we're working at all, but there are tasks that he will give to us, and we're going to have the opportunity to serve him. I think it's going to blow our minds. I think... It will be beyond what we can comprehend in this earth. That's why he hasn't given us that much insight as to what heaven is going to be like. I think it also tells us, however, that we're going to be released from pain, from fear, from depression, from sorrow, from conflict, from stress. I used to say from tears also, that there would be no tears in heaven. And Mike Sandy pointed out that that passage in Revelation doesn't say that there will be no tears in heaven. It says our tears will be wiped away. And I've given some thought to that, Mike, since you made that statement. And I got to thinking, and you know, there are going to be some tears because there's going to be some loved ones that are not there. There are going to be some people that we dearly wanted to see in heaven, but they never accepted Jesus into their lives. They never trusted him. And so they're not going to be there. And I can't help but think that there will be some tears. But the overwhelming feeling we're going to have, because we will be in the presence of God, and don't be thinking of mansions. That's the King James idea. I know we want to think of a mansion and everything, but it's more just simply the fact that adds, that God is adding unto his house, and we are going to be in his very presence. And that's going to be the real reward, is that we're going to be with the Father. And we're going to be with other believers. And we're going to praise him forever, for eternity. Who is heaven made for? Well, 1 Peter 1 says, It's an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power. So he's going to make sure we get our inheritance. Until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed at the last time. So the reality is not everybody's going to go to heaven. Can you imagine if God opened up the doors and invited rapists and axe murderers and people like Hitler to come in? Would that be heaven? No, that would be hell. That would be hell. He's not going to invite them all in unless somewhere along the line They turned their life around and trusted in Jesus. I don't know what's going to be said on anybody's deathbed. I've been with people. I've been with people when they have made deathbed confessions of faith in Christ. But I've also been with them when they shook their head no. happens if we sin again? What do you mean if? What happens when we sin again? 
We will make mistakes. We will blow it. Christians are not perfect. None of us. I, I can't go through a day without sinning. And I don't think many of you can either. The reality is that our sins have been forgiven, past, present, and future, if we have trusted in Jesus. And there will be times where, where we'll let go of God's hand. When, when we meet God, we reach out and we take a hold of his hand. And he takes a hold of ours. And the scripture indicates that Jesus has a hold of us and God has, the Father has a hold of us. And even though we may try to get away from him and we may try to shake our hand away from him, he hangs on to us. He hangs on to us. And there will be days where we say it's too difficult, it's too hard, it's too unpopular, there's too much cost. And we want to turn away from him. But I believe that God will take his children and he will make sure that they will safely get to heaven. It's his responsibility to keep the commitment that you made because he's going to keep the commitment he made to you. And if you would trust in him, he'll take care of you. If you had to earn your way into heaven by doing good works, there's not a one of us that would be able to get there. Because logically speaking, the moment you stopped doing good works and you started doing some bad ones, you blew it. And I don't think we can tip the scales enough in our favor to earn our way to heaven. We are there. We will have that as our eternal home simply by the grace of God. So I'm grateful for the grace he's shown me. I'm grateful for the plan that he has for my life and that he's been working out that plan. And I'm thankful for the fact that I've got a home to look forward to in heaven. You know, I, I thought about that a lot when I was younger, but it was more out of a curiosity. I think about it now because it's becoming more of a reality and an inevitability. I'm seeing too many people in the obituaries whose names I recognize. Thank God I haven't seen mine there yet. <laughs> but I have definitely seen people that I recognize and people that are younger than I am. And I realize I'm mortal like everybody else. But there's one final thing. <clears throat> I am thankful that I'm not the person I used to be. He has made changes and is making changes today in my life. Changes that I can never do on my own. He took a skinny, shy, introverted individual and made him so that he was uncomfortable in front of hundreds of people. How could he do that? How could he make that kind of a transformation? He took a young man who got all tied up in knots whenever he had to make some kind of oral presentation in school and gave him a comfort level to where he could stand up before people week in and week out and share a message from his word. God looks at us and we recognize that he is the potter and we're the clay. We're lumps of clay, if you will. And he says, hey, I envision something there that I can take that lump of clay and I can begin to work with it and I can move it and I can change it and I can make it more like Jesus. And that's what he is doing in our lives today. We look at that lot. Well, I won't speak for some of you because some of you are very artistic. 
But I'll speak for myself, even though there is a degree of artistic stuff in me, when it comes to taking a lump of clay and making it into something nice and attractive and pretty and useful, uh-uh, it, it doesn't work. I might be able to make a pot of some kind, but it wouldn't look all that pretty. But God can look at us, and not only does he look at us, he can make the changes that make us something beautiful and useful. God does love you just the way you are, but thank God he doesn't leave you just the way you are when you come to him. He loves you too much to leave you that way. He wants to bring about change in your life. Philippians 2.13 says, It is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. So God gives you the desire and the power, the ability to change each and every one of you. And I believe he does that with churches too. He looks at churches and he says, I love you. And I want to use you to bring glory to my name. I want to use you to increase my kingdom. I want to use you to touch people's lives. And so he brings about change. We don't like change. We resist change. But we need change. We all need change because we get so comfortable. One of the things I learned when I was riding my little Trail 90 out on the, on the uh, dirt roads was if, if I got into a rut, I pretty much had to stay in that rut. If I tried getting out of it, I was more likely to tip my bike. But guess what? Those ruts go along for a while, and then all of a sudden, they're off the side of the road. It's actually safer to ride outside of the ruts, to blaze new trails. And that's true in our Christian life too. Don't be satisfied with the ruts you're in right now, the habits that you have formed, unless they're good habits, unless they're godly habits. But let God give you some new direction. Let God give you some new habits, some new ways of doing things. I think it's the problem, the longer we're Christians, is we forget how good a deal we've got. We actually forget what it's like to live without hope. We forget what it's like to live without help, without God's power, without his presence, without his peace, without his protection. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, we are being transformed into his likeness, talking about Christ, with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord. So we become more and more like him. That's God's goal for us, to make us godly, to make us Christ-like. The bottom line is that everything that we do, everything that we have, is because of him. It is because of him. The church is in the life changing business it is our business when you boil it down to it it's not the buildings as I've heard Andy Stanley say recently the church is a movement it's not the buildings it is a movement made up of people 
who have had their lives changed by Jesus, who are going out into the world and changing other lives as the Spirit of God works in and through their lives. See, it's not the programs, it's not the music, it's not the preaching. It's God working in and through us. Are we willing to let Him work in and through our lives? Are we willing to let Him use our lives to touch other people's lives? Over the years, I have seen, I have seen lives change. I have seen rough copper miners have their lives changed radically. The first church I pastored in Arizona was a very volatile church. It had that kind of a history. And I honestly thought that God had given me a gift of keeping up the lid on the pot so it wouldn't boil over. And that was going to be my calling for the rest of my life. We had hour and a half business meetings. We had people that that was the one place where they could speak their mind. They couldn't do it when they were on the job, but they could do it in church. But there was something else that was taking place in that church at the same time. It was back when we had Sunday night services. And we just started opening it up for, for testimonies. Praise time, we called it. Started off with popcorn praise, where someone would just pop up and make a couple words and sit down again. But then it evolved into testimonies, testimonies of praise. Honestly, I saw that church go. It, it was not uncommon to have hour and a half worship services without me even preaching. For the simple fact that we got to praising the Lord. Amen. When they were in their carnal state, thinking like a man, not a godly man or woman, they would bicker with one another. But when they had their focus on Jesus and were filled with his spirit, praise came from their mouths. Praise came from their hearts, more importantly, from deep within. And they realized how God had changed them. I saw people change their lives. I remember a guy that we'd been trying to reach. All we had tried reaching him. We had witnessed to him numerous times. He kept resisting. And then he had a crisis. His roof started leaking, leaking bad. He had to get it replaced. He talked to all of his friends, all of his bar buddies. And he couldn't get any of them out to help him. We got word of it. And we got on the phone and we started spreading the word. And before he knew it, he had a full-fledged work crew there to help him strip it off, help him lay down the tar paper, help him to reshingle it. It opened up his eyes. How did that happen? It happened because there was a body of believers that learned how to serve, how to serve others. And that was perhaps the greatest witness. It was without a doubt the greatest witness that he had ever received. That people that he really didn't know, people that he had ridiculed, people that he had rejected, were there to help him. He knew he wasn't deserving of the help. But it changed his life, and he became a believer. 
I saw it time after time. I mean, that's what I love about Christianity. I see people's lives being changed. The power of thanksgiving is tremendous. I'm going to close with the thought comes out of Acts chapter 16 where Paul and Silas have been imprisoned in a dark, dank dungeon of a jail. Middle of the night, around midnight, they decided to just start singing praises and thanks to God. And God decided to send an earthquake. I mean, he rocked that place. And the doors came open. Oh my gosh. It was the first jailhouse rock. (laughs) And the guard was in fear for his life because he was certain that all the prisoners were escaping and he was going to lose his life as a result. Paul says, no, 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 we're all here. What kind of prisoners are you? We're Christians. We're Christians. That night he had the opportunity to tell that man about Jesus. He had the opportunity to tell his entire family about Jesus. And they were baptized and they followed the Lord. Are you in a prison this morning? Perhaps an emotional prison or a financial prison or a some kind of a relational prison? Are you locked up with guilt? Is there conflict in your life? Jesus can set you free. Come by faith to Him. Start thanking God instead of fussing at God and trying to blame Him for the problems you've got. The attitude of gratitude can can work miracles in your life. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads for a moment of prayer. God, I am so grateful for the grace that you've shown me, for the plan that you've prepared for me, for the home that will be mine for eternity and for the changes that you're making in my life. Help me to show my gratitude through my worship, through my singing, but more importantly, through my serving and giving and telling others. Help me to bring glory to your name. Father, I know There are things that are out of kilter in my life. And I don't have the strength and the power to overcome them. I need to call upon you because I need your help. And I know you're not going to turn a deaf ear, but you're going to be there for me and you're going to help me. And you do the same for each person that is here today. Help us to be more like Jesus. 
we're willing to change. In Jesus' name we pray.